Luke 8. Luke 8. I want to share with you a story of Jesus provoking an unclean spirit. Luke 8. Luke 8. Starting in verse 26, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says this. Then they came to the other side of the sea. Who? Jesus and the disciples. To the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, meaning Jesus, stepped out on the land, watch, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. <laughs> Hear me today. You don't need to be a demon hunter. When you walk in the spirit, you don't have to find demons. They'll find you. When Jesus stepped foot on the region of the Gadarenes, it disrupted the spiritual equilibrium of the entire region. All of a sudden, every demon in hell started to shake. Why? Because a superior power just confronted an inferior power. Jesus didn't even have to preach. There wasn't no special conference. Nobody announced that he was going to show up. The Bible says when he stepped foot on the land, all of a sudden, it irritated a man with an unclean spirit who was living in the tombs. Now, if you don't go to Pursuits the Homish, you might not understand this, but right across the parking lot from our church is a graveyard. And several years ago, there was a homeless man living in that graveyard, demonized, alcoholic, addicted, all sorts of things. And he began to kind of come around pursuit when he would hear the music play. And the first couple of times he would kind of stumble in and smelled like he had been drinking all night and clearly had a tough life. But we had a soft spot in our heart because I could tell the spirit was drawing him. And how many of you know, it's God's responsibility to clean the fish. It's our responsibility to catch the fish. I'm going to catch people regardless of how they stumble in because you're going to get stumbled in and you're going to get hit by the power of God and all of a sudden your entire life is going to change. So whatever they come in drunk, stoned, out of their mind, demonized, it don't matter to me. I want to get them in the presence of God because the presence of God is the only elixir to fix the pain of the human soul. So he started to come in week after week and was kind of drunk. Sometimes he was disruptive, but I was just like, I bet if he hangs out here long enough, God going to get him. And it was about two and a half years ago, we was hosting a baptism service like the one we had tonight. And all of a sudden, I saw Don, the homeless man living amongst the tombs, make his way down to the front, give his life to Jesus and jump in that tank. Now watch. For the first time in Don's adult life, he's living in an apartment that has a kitchen, indoor plumbing, and electricity. He serves now in the parking lot ministry every Sunday morning in Snohomish. You see him if you roll into the church. He ain't perfect, but his life's been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Why? Because still today, Jesus is calling men and women out of the tombs to follow him. It was crazy. I got a testimony during fourth service. One of the moms of a young man who's been really far from God, she texted and it, it got back to me. It went to one of our board members and, and eventually it got to me. And she said, you got to tell the pastor this testimony. He ain't going to believe it. My son been on drugs, alcohol, addicted, lost his mind. He was living, watch, hear me, in a homeless camp in Seattle. Now, I don't know if you've seen them homeless camps in Seattle, but it's not like a place you would want to tour. It's not like a place you would want to spend a night. It's not a place you would recommend your friends to go. It's filled with all sorts of death and spirits and overdosing and fentanyl and, and, and just, it's just, it's just, it's just a cesspool of, of criminality and her son was living in the homeless camp. And I don't know who, I hope to meet him one day, 
But one of the homeless dudes in the camp was rallying the people and they was watching Pursuit live stream on a phone. This kid gets reached by the gospel. All of a sudden says, I gotta get my life turned around winds up in detox rehab, gets clean and sober, and now finds himself back on the right track serving the Lord. Don't tell me God can't reach people in the graveyards of Seattle. You ain't heard a testimony like that before. Don't tell me God can't reach people in the graveyards of Seattle. Don't tell me God can't reach the sons of terrorists in the slums of the Gaza Strip. Don't tell me God can't reach the demoniac at the UW. Don't tell me God can't reach that professor who's antichrist. Don't tell me God can't reach the chief partier on frat row. Don't tell me God can't reach the quarterback of the football team. Don't tell me God can't reach the captain of the baseball team. Don't tell me God can't reach the point guard from the basketball team. Don't tell me that there's one person you know so far gone that by Christ's name, he can't call them out of the graveyard and into eternal life. Some of you serving a God who's about 10 sizes too small because you like the Grinch with a heart that's four sizes too small. No, God ain't like little one of your buddies running around. He's not like one of them little Buddhist idols you see floating around in the stores of Seattle. at the voice of God, which is like many waters. When he says it, it happens in the earth. The God that we serve is the highest authority, the highest power, the highest king, and the highest name. And when he stepped foot in the country of the Gatherings, the demons came running. See, demons are part of the fall, but you've been given authority over them by virtue of the cross. They are still at work in the lives of people today through the principle of agreement. Why? Because what you agree with in your spirit, you will release in your life. Demons have no authority, but people give them authority by coming into agreement with their demonic lies and habitual patterns of sin that Christ has freed them from in previous seasons. And when you come into agreement with a spiritual entity, it gives that thing power and legal authority to harass your life. Now, the Bible says that the ministry of the church is to cleanse the leper, to raise the dead, to preach the gospel, and to cast out demons. So we believe in the casting out of demons, which is simply taking authority over darkness and in doing so providing an avenue of God's light to illuminate your life. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says it like this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The God of this world, the lowercase g, the inferior God of this world works overtime to blind people so they cannot see the light of Jesus Christ. But we don't live afraid of demons because the reality is they're afraid of us. They know that their future has been secured which is locked forever in the pit of hell. They know they are operating in a time-limited dispensation where they have been given temporary permission to harass people on earth. But there is coming a day where Christ will descend with his sword and he will judge both the living and the dead for he has the highest name in heaven, on earth, and even under the earth. They know there is coming a day where they will have a final judgment that comes against them and the devil and all of his fallen angels and little demonic buddies will be cast into the lake of fire never to rear their ugly heads again. So I'm not living scared of the devil. I'm living in awe of Jesus. But I recognize that there are demonic entities that operate with authority in the earth because they have found permission through the lives of people. Now hear me, because this is important, especially going into Halloween. People got bad theology on the demonic, but I'm gonna help you tonight. Christians can't be possessed by a demon. 
Hear me, Christians cannot be possessed by a demon. There is no record of that in scripture and frankly, it's bad theology to believe. When you get saved, you become possessed by the Holy Spirit and he will not share the throne of your heart with an inferior spirit. However, Christians can be oppressed by the enemy, and many are. Oppression comes in many forms. It can look like fear, infirmity, heaviness, intimidation, anxiety. Oppression looks like a foothold in your life that the enemy exploits for the purpose of keeping you in bondage. But oppression is broken in your life by virtue of prayer, confession, submission, discipleship, and the process of sanctification, which looks like the unwrapping of grave clothes that used to identify your life when you lived amongst the tombs. We are not afraid of the demonic. We are aware of the demonic. And hear me today. I've got more faith in the power of God to save me than the ability of the enemy to harm me. My job is not to be an expert on what hell wants to do, but instead an expert on a kingdom that is advancing by force, doing violence against darkness every day of the week. Now watch what the Bible says. It says this, Jesus set sail towards the region of the Gadarenes. One translation says, he set sail towards the city of Gadara. Gadara was a city just on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, but it was special for this reason. Gadara was a gateway city to a region named Decapolis. Decapolis came from the Greek word deca, meaning 10. Decapolis was a collection of 10 cities that was filled with Gentiles and dominated by the pagan worship of false idols. This was a region filled with unbelievers. This was a territory harassed by demonic entities. This was a land void of any gospel witness. And watch, this is exactly the type of place Jesus wanted to go. And here's the good news. Jesus still sets his sails to go in the direction of lost places because he didn't come as a doctor for the healthy, but instead for the sick. See, I think of Seattle like I think of Gadara. It's the first city in a region, but it represents at least 10 more cities that need a spirit-filled church knocking down the gates of hell. See, Decapolis was completely absorbed in the worship of pagan idols, and the principal deity that they worshiped was the fake god Zeus. He was the god of thunder and lightning, rain and wind. And don't you remember what is happening just prior to Jesus and the disciples reaching the shores of Gadara? The Bible says a great storm with wind and rain was thrashing their boat. And Jesus is asleep and his disciples think that they're going to die. And what does Jesus do? He stands up and rebukes the storms and the disciples make it safely to the other side. Hear me. The region knows what's coming. It's false gods are trying to do everything they can to prevent the breakthrough that is arriving. If the enemy wasn't threatened with your destination, he wouldn't be trying so hard to stop your journey. But you gotta realize today, there's entire regions that are hanging in the balance of your obedience. And that's exactly why the enemy has tried so hard to sink your boat. John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And you know what? Today, this is what remains of the temple of Zeus in the Decapolis region. You could visit it, on a historical site today, put the picture on the screen that you have. You could visit it 
if you went to the region of Decapolis today, all that's left is ruins. It's nothing but a fallen temple. All it represents is a defeated God. He couldn't stop Jesus and his little friends won't stop us. Every other pagan temple that has been built to a false God, all it exists as today is historic ruins of what was. But 2000 years later, the church of Jesus Christ still stands strong. The fallen architecture of these pagan temples is simply an exterior reminder of a eternal truth. That God alone holds the keys to life, death, and the grave. And only he has the ability to command not just the destiny of a person, but the destiny of a nation. And every other world system, philosophy, and false religion will find itself crumbled at the pronouncement that Jesus is king. I want you to notice what the scriptures say. When Jesus stepped out on the land, immediately there met him a man with an unclean spirit. Hear me today. You don't have authority in the land until you are willing to step out on the land. When Jesus stepped out, out on the land, immediately there met him a man with an unclean spirit. Well, I wish God would just take care of every obstacle before I ever arrive. Good luck. That's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say the table he makes for you is in front of your enemies. Meaning this, you better get comfortable going to difficult places because that's where the table is. And some problems won't ever get solved until the people of God are willing to step foot in places that other people have fled. That's why it was of strategic spiritual significance for the pursuit to be able to buy this building in Seattle. When we got the title deed for this building in Seattle, it didn't just represent represent a natural authority in the land. It represented a spiritual authority in the land. And all of a sudden, when we stepped onto this ground, not as renters, but instead as owners, what it signified to principalities and powers is number one, we're not playing games. Number two, you're not going to scare me away from the building that the kingdom of God owns. And number three, we are putting you on notice that we are coming for every pagan temple that's been constructed in this region because there is only one God who is worthy of praise and adoration. And he is the one one who is the uncaused cause, the one who was not created by human hands, the one who was before time and will be there after time. His name is Yahweh. He has one and only son whose name is Jesus and his spirit fills the temple of our hearts today. The story continues. The Bible tells us about this strange man who was living in the tombs. Now this man had his dwelling amongst the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet for no one was strong enough to subdue him. Watch, and always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. I know you think the Bible is an old book, but all it's doing is speaking to the issues of humanity, which still exist today. Do we got 
do, do we not have an entire generation crying out in the middle of the night, cutting themselves to try to feel something significant, crying out, wishing somebody would care, wishing the gods of culture would respond, finding themselves in a downward spiral of existential crisis one after another, just hoping somebody with a superior power would show up and rescue them from the hellhole that they've lived in. Oh, the Bible's an old book. Yeah, it's a real book too. Let me set the scene for you. This man is so demonized, the village don't even know what to do. So they chain him up in the graveyard and abandon him to his own self-destruction. Now watch. If you think that village was bad, just be thankful that the man from the Gadarenes didn't live in any of our cities today. We would have built a monument to his demons. We would have given each of them a TikTok account. We would have signed them up for government benefits and affirmed their unique identities by celebrating possession under the, ballot, under the banner of tolerance and diversity. Eventually, this man becomes so overpowered by darkness and bondage that his outside circumstance begins to imitate his inside reality. When people begin to cut themselves or fall into self-destructive behavior, it is simply what is true on the inside now being manifest on the outside. I've got a problem with pain. I don't know how to deal with it. There might not be hope, more, more, any hope for my circumstance or condition. So let me find a way to express on the outside the tyranny of what I feel on the inside. Eventually this man becomes so overpowered by darkness and bondage. That outside looks like inside. He's living in the tombs because death is all around him. He's wrapped in chains because bondage is all he knows. Cutting himself with stones because he hates what he has become. I heard someone the other day, I don't even know what this means. They was talking about white magic as opposed to black magic. They said, oh, come on, pastor. It's not really a big deal. These are the good witches. I said, I've never met a good witch a day in my life. Hear me today, every demon, whether it's white magic, black magic, blue magic, orange magic, every demon has the same agenda. They wanna ruin your mind, they wanna destroy your soul, and they wanna kill your body. And you ought to quit playing games with demons that wanna wreak havoc in your life. You can't medicate a demon away. You can't negotiate a demon away. You can't legislate a demon today. But if you walk in God's ordained power at the name of Jesus, they have to bow. Now hear me, because I'm gonna say this and I mean it. Every problem we face in our society today has a spiritual root. And until you deal with the spiritual nature of a thing, you will only ever address symptoms until you're too tired to do anything else. And because we are so enlightened and educated in the West, we have in large part denied the spiritual world while attaching our hope to the material one. We can have all the affordable housing in the world and Seattle would still deal with a homelessness crisis. And do you know why? Because at its root, homelessness isn't an economic issue, it's a spiritual one. You'd be mad all you want. You can tweet at me all you want. It's the truth and you know it. We can have all the rehab facilities in the world and Everett would still deal with a drug and alcohol crisis. Do you know why? Because at its root, addiction isn't a biological issue, it's a spiritual one. And until you get authority in the high place, you won't have victory in the low place. 
In fact, the Bible says no one was strong enough to subdue him. Watch, watch. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And here's why. The issue isn't strength, it's authority. You can have the biggest muscles in the world, but when you get pulled over on the way home from pursuit for speeding, the issue isn't who has more strength, the issue is who has more authority. You can get pulled over by a 115 pound female cop, but when the blue and red lights are flashing behind you, it don't matter what you can bench press, ain't nobody cares. They got the authority to ruin your day and if you act up, they'll ruin your life. The issue is not strength, it's authority. The issue is not the strength of your life, it's the authority of your life. Because when you got authority, it don't matter if you're a 12 year old filled with the Spirit of God, at the name of Jesus, demons that came in one way will flee seven ways because you've got a name that has power. And that's why I'm opposed to some of this preaching, teaching, worship style we see in churches today. We're gonna, they're gonna talk about the God consciousness. So they say all this weird stuff, but they never mention Jesus. They never mention Jesus. They won't even say his name. I'm like, do you not wanna say his name because it's gonna agitate your demons? Like, what's going on? They can't even say his name. That's why I'm like, every worship song we get, I'm throwing in God, Yahweh, Jesus, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, three in one. I wanna sing the name, I wanna pray the name, I wanna preach the name, I wanna believe the name, because there is power in the name of Jesus. There's power, there's power. Listen, when we say Jesus is king, there's power in that declaration. When I say Jesus has the ability to call somebody out of the tombs, there's power in that statement. When I'm talking to people, witnessing to them, I'm not just trying to say, well, you know, if you just trust in a higher power, your life gonna be better. I'm like, listen, friends, you're going to hell and it's hotter than you think. And you need Jesus to save your soul. It's Jesus. It's not some higher power. It's not some Bob Ross painting. It's not some aromatherapy you do with your friends. It's not the Ouija board that you have at your frat house. It's not the crystals you got at the local store down the street. It's not your Harry Potter book. It's not your little magic incantations. It's not your dumb personality test on Facebook. It's not your friend's TikTok account. It's not manifesting because we just all spiritual and we don't want to be offensive by saying there is only one way. There is only one way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life, and no man comes to the Father except by Jesus. There is still power in that name. Oh, at the name of Jesus, governors and politicians shake. Demons get nervous. Hell breaks into a panic attack at the name of Jesus. When the government said, you can't gather, we got a pandemic, I said, Jesus commands it. The scripture records it, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> In Matthew 7, the crowds were amazed because Jesus taught with authority, unlike the scribes and Pharisees. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. In Luke 7, a Roman centurion servant is healed because he tells Jesus, I understand how this works because I too am a man who is under authority. Authority is like bad breath. When you have it, you don't have to tell anyone. They just know. <laughs> they just know. You know, it's funny because I see this even with my kids and the way they interact. They be carrying on, they be being wild. They be giving mom a run for her money. 
They're not listening, being disrespectful, saying naughty words, being kids. All my wife has to do to my kids is say this, I'm going to call dad. Dad going to come home from the office. You're going to wish he didn't. You better change that attitude. You better clean that room. You better stop back talking because I'm going to call dad. And when he walks in the house, he don't even have to say anything. You just know. See, when you're engaged in spiritual conflict, what is most evident in your life is your God-given level of authority. Hear me today. In order for you to have authority over something, watch, you've got to be submitted under something. For we are not autonomous islands of sovereign authority unto ourselves. And in fact, hear me, your level of submission determines your level of authority. See, submission, a dirty word in our culture. What do you mean I got to submit? I don't got to submit to anybody. I'm a free person. I ain't going to submit nothing. Just me and just me and me and me and me. And we got the cult of individualism. And it's so saturated our minds that we think we are the sovereign source of authority. No, you ain't. You don't have authority over something until you are submitted under something. That's why I'm convinced every Christian needs a church that they belong to. They do. Because when you are under the covering of something, it upgrades the spiritual authority of your life. Well, I'm just a free range soldier and I just kind of minister to all the places and wherever I go, I just, that's where God calls me. And we kind of develop this kind of affinity towards vagabond spirituality. I'm just a homeless traveler in the night. Wherever I show up, that's my church for the day. And I'll be here one day and I'll be gone the next. And I'll be here and there and everywhere. Listen, I'm okay with visiting and you got to visit. I'm not against any of that stuff. But at the end of the day, you got to have a house that you call home. I go to a lot of people's houses, but I already got one home. I don't call Maria and say, hey, listen, man, you know, I found some other people. I think I'm going to stay here for a minute and I'm going to play house with them. We got a whole generation playing house. Their souls have been wounded. They're crying out for help because they don't understand the power of submitting to somebody else in the context of covenant. See, in covenant, you are submitting one to another. It's a dirty word and we can't talk about that because what do you mean? And we got to fight the patriarchy. And we so stupid in our culture today. We just dumb. We got the spirit of dumb and it saturated us. We feel like God's going to change the scriptures to meet our current ethical, moral moment as Gen C interprets it. God don't care about your interpretation. He got one interpretation. He literally wrote the book. I'm going to trust God at the end of the day. You can have a lot of houses, but you got to have one home. And when I get home, I know that my wife belonged to me. I belong to her and both of us belong to God. And what that does is it puts a fear of God in your life because you know, I am under authority. I am under accountability. I'm not some sort of 1099 free range, you know, lone ranger out here on the frontier, just farting around every other place, pretending like I, like my stuff don't stink and I'm just a blessing everywhere I go. No, you a burden everywhere you go. Find a house that you can submit to so your life can blossom. David says, man, my desire, my desire is to dwell. He didn't say visit. He didn't say visit. He didn't say show up and post your thirst trap pictures with your friends. He said, it's my desire to dwell in the house of the Lord. The problem is we want the blessing of dwelling without the commitment to dwell. 
We want the blessing of the marriage covenant, which is sex, without actually the commitment to covenant itself. We want all the rewards of community, but we're not willing to invest in community. I'm here to tell you tonight, whether it's pursuit or somewhere else, and hear me, I'm not against visiting, but you need a house that you call home. You are not just a couch surfer Christian. You need a house that you call home. When Jesus sets foot on the land, he's going to the place the enemy never dared he would. Think about it. A Jewish rabbi walking onto Gentile land into a graveyard close to a herd of pigs. If you understand anything about the Jewish custom that guided the life of a rabbi, you would know that they would never do that. I'm telling you, this church is going to every graveyard of every city in this region. And we're taking authority over every unclean spirit in these neighborhoods. The enemy never imagined we would take a swing at Seattle, but here we are. The enemy never imagined we would take a swing at Kirkland, but I'm coming. I have heard the cry from the man in the tombs and we're gonna do something about it. Let me ask you a question. How long does the man in the tombs have to cry out until the church finds the courage to step up? Because I tell you what, right after the spirit fills you up, the spirit will make you fed up. And all of a sudden you'll go, it is unjust. It is unjust that they're living in the graveyards. It is unjust that they are terrorized by demonic entities. It is unjust that they're cutting themselves, crying out in the middle of the night. It is unjust that they've been abandoned by their neighborhoods. It is unjust. How long must we hear the cry from the men in the tombs until we've got enough courage to do something about it? Verse six, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him and bowed low before him. And with a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Hmm. It's interesting. Peter, a disciple of Christ, doesn't recognize Jesus as the son of God until Mark 8. Yet an individual with a demon correctly identifies who Jesus is three chapters earlier in Mark 5. It's true what James 2 and 19 says, even the demons believe and they tremble. Now you might be here tonight and not recognize really what is happening here in this church or what's beginning to happen all across this region. But I can promise you this, as sure as I'm standing in this tank today, we are starting to see the promised outpouring of God's spirit once again in the Northwest. And every demon in hell knows it because the advancement of God's kingdom is putting them on notice. Your time is limited, your power is fading, and your territory is decreasing. Jesus hasn't even said a word and the demoniac has already concluded the Messiah is here. He's going to interfere with my life and he is going to torture my darkness. Jesus not even said a word and the demon has identified the Messiah is here. He's going to interfere with my life and he's going to torture my darkness. And watch. And Jesus said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. <laughs> and he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the region. Now hear me tonight. 
There was a legion in the region, but Jesus was on the move. See, that name legion was a military term from Rome. It meant a unit of 6,000 men. This demon is saying, there's at least 6,000 of us in here. What are you going to do about it? I want you to see what's happening here. When the enemy gains a foothold in your life, he doesn't ask individual permission to invite all of his friends. When he has an open door, he'll move in trauma, bondage, addiction, darkness, infirmity, stuff that wasn't even connected to your original source of pain. Now watch, if every good and perfect gift comes from the father of lights, then what do you think the father of lies brings to those he afflicts? I want you to see something. The demons begged Jesus, do not send us out from, watch, the region. Why? Because they were on assignment in that location and they received their power from the agreement of people in that region. The demons don't care about the man in the tombs. The demons are just using him so they can conduct business on the region around him. Until you address the territorial strongman or the regional spirit, you won't have authority to conduct spiritual business. Jesus is greeted by a spirit and prior to doing the father's business, he exposes and takes authority over an entire region. Now watch, when a region loses its lid, all of heaven breaks loose. It was like there was a wet blanket on the region of the gatherings. It kept back the kingdom of heaven. Jesus shows up and rightly identifies the source of that limitation. It was a man who had 6,000 demons. My name is Legion, for we are many. Hear me today, friend. You can't deal with what you refuse to name. Hear me. Principalities and powers thrive. They thrive on anonymity. The enemy wants you to call your sin a whole lot of other things. He wants you to call your sin a preference. He wants you to call your sin an identity. He wants to, you to call your sin an accident. And God certainly doesn't want you to dwell on your sin, but until you can name it, you can't defeat it. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. All the demons begged him, send us into the swine. We want to enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. Why? Because inferior spirits operate on permission. He gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits watched. They went out and they entered the pigs. There was about 2,000 of them. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Then the people began, watch, to plead with Jesus, leave our region. <laughs> Isn't it wild that when people get free, when people get healed, when people get delivered, when people get baptized, the response from the people in the, the response from the people is leave our region and give us back our legion. We got so used to these demons, we kind of miss having them around. They pleaded with Jesus to leave. The region's upset, but there's a man who's really happy. He was a man who was probably days away from taking his own life, probably had scars all the way up and down his arms and legs from cutting himself. He had shrieked his whole life. He was happy. The region was upset. In 1890, two years before his death, Charles Spurgeon shared a sermon from Mark 5, and he said these words. It was a great calamity that had happened. The swine had run into the sea. 
The townspeople did not want any more such calamities. Didn't Jesus possess extraordinary power? Had he not healed the demoniac? Well, they did not want him. They did not want anything extraordinary. They were easygoing men who would like to go on with the even tenor of their way. So they asked him to be good enough to go away. Spurgeon went on to say, there are some people of that kind still living today. They say, we do not want a revival here. We are too respectable. We do not want any stirring preaching here. We are very comfortable. Do not break up our peace. Such men, when they think that God is at work in any place, they are half inclined to go elsewhere. They want to be quiet. Their motto is anything for a quiet life. Leave us alone. Let us go on our old way is the cry of these foolish people as it was the cry of the Israelites when they said to Moses, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Oh, dear friend, if there be any such reason why you do not want Christ to come your way, I pray that his Holy Spirit may convince you that you do need him to come your way. Be you sure of this. If you do not desire to be converted, if you do do not wish to be born again. You are the very person above all others needing to be converted and needing to be born again. It is not a most unwise decision when for the sake of swine we are willing to part with Christ. The townspeople are incensed. How dare Jesus cause our swine to drown? But isn't that the tragedy of the human condition? We want freedom for our future without having to give up things that are unclean in our present. We want to receive the freedom God promises, but at the same time, keep the pigs that man provided. And what if I told you, even though bondage is wrong and dysfunctional, when it's familiar, it'll make you feel right at home. Jesus cleansed a man by casting out a demon. He cleansed a region by clearing out some pigs. God isn't just interested in your personal freedom. He's after the graveyard you've called a home. He's after the tombstone you've called an identity. He's after the region you thought was too far gone. Oh friend, it is true. It is the most unwise decision for the sake of swine to be willing to part with Christ. And let me end here. When Jesus got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him. He said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and he began to proclaim in Decapolis, 10 cities, all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. At the conclusion of tonight's service, I'm telling you the same thing. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on the graveyard of your life. <laughs> Go home and tell your friends. I want you to see something in closing. Jesus has the power to save people and destroy demons. He permitted them to enter the swine, and in doing so, they ran off a cliff. The demons wanted to stay in the region, but upon death, they would return to what the Bible calls the arid place. Jesus didn't just deliver a man. He freed a region from a stronghold that had held the gospel back. Now, you may not think it's a big deal when one person gets saved or when one person gets baptized, but I can promise you this, every time the enemy loses his grip on a person, the sound of freedom echoes in the region. 
Oh, baptisms, they taken too long. But every person who's baptized represents an echo of freedom in the region. All the demons are talking. Oh, did you hear they got baptized? Shoot. Yo, that, that was not according to plan. We thought he belonged to us. We thought she belonged to us. Do you think maybe they'll baptize like more people in the future? Like what if they baptize like so many, like we start to lose control of this city. Like then what are we gonna do? Like we might be in real trouble. I think these people actually believe what they preach. I think these people like actually enjoy the presence of God. Like we might be real screwed. Like we were used to like a sleepy church in Seattle that we could take advantage of because we got demons in the region sitting in the back pews across all the places in this region. But I think them are some people that are just wild enough that they actually believe what they read. Oh shoot, we might need another game plan. We might need another strategy. I'm hearing echoes of freedom in the region. I love the instruction of Jesus. Go home and tell your friends. Friend, I think something happens in your faith journey when you begin to tell someone else and testify about all that Jesus has done for you. In fact, I think the quickest way to get a new miracle is to testify about your last one. I was bound up in addiction, but Jesus had compassion. I was suicidal and depressed, but Jesus had compassion. I was out of my mind, isolated from community, ready to give up on life, never wanted to go back to church again, but Jesus had compassion. And maybe, just maybe, we could change the narrative of this, this city by beginning to tell the story of the compassion that Jesus has showed to the least, the lost, and the last. And in doing so, brought them close into the family of God. This isn't just a, a story of, of something that, that might have happened. These are the recorded details of the ministry of Christ. And what we know about Jesus is that because he is a part of the co-eternal triune Godhead, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever which means if he had authority back then, you better believe he's got authority today. I, I know what Seattle represents. On that phone call with the Jewish leaders today, they said, now tell me again, you're in Seattle? I said, uh-huh. They said, now tell me again, you're, what, you're on frat, now there's no way you're on frat. I said, uh-huh. And they said, now that's two blocks from, and I said, uh-huh. They said, how on earth is this happening in a place like Seattle? I said, I don't know, and I'm not really sure. But I'm just convinced that there's some pigs that need some demons. And there's some people in graveyards that need some freedom. And we've already burned the ships to follow Jesus. There ain't no plan B. This is it. Believe God still has power. See a tired generation set free by Jesus. That's the game plan. And we're not going to quit. We're not going to quit until the people shrieking in Snohomish, Seattle, Kirkland, Spokane, the Tri-Cities, Vancouver, Bellingham. I'm not quitting until their shrieks turn into shouts of praise. That's why we worship the way that we do. And that's why I would encourage you in closing, don't you ever judge the worship of somebody else. Well, I don't know. They was kind of getting wild at the altar. And did you see them? And they was crying and they was jumping and they was falling. Yeah, because those who've been forgiven much love much. Yeah. 
and you was acting like a 12-year-old fangirl at the Taylor Swift concert, so don't tell me you can't get wild neither. Oh, we got a reason to celebrate on nights like this. We got a reason to rejoice in a city like this. We got a reason to sing. We got a reason to praise. We got a reason to shout. And when you see somebody get touched by the power of God, you don't ever know the graveyard God took them out of. You don't know how close they were to making that final cut that would have ended their life. You don't know how hoarse their voice was from shrieking, hoping somebody would care. You don't know how long they've been separated in chains, in bondage. All they ever see is death. And one day somebody cared enough to show them a pursuit live stream in a homeless camp and they got born again. You don't ever know. You don't ever know what God has saved somebody from. And listen, we've been in a boat. We landed on the shores of Seattle. As soon as we stepped foot in this land, every demon reared its ugly head. What are you doing here? Have you come to torture us? Yep. Have you come to interfere with us? Yep. Have you come to cast us out? Yep. Have you come to preach freedom and see people absolutely transformed by the power of the gospel? Yep. You really come to cast demons out of this region? What are we gonna do? We just love our pigs. Yup, yup, and yup. And every time we gather, we put hell on notice. This is what I love about church, different than just like a little conference thing that happens once a year. Like, somebody texted me the other day, they're like, Russ, like we need a protest in Seattle. Like, we need to like, you know, support this and that. I said, I got one every Sunday night, 6 p.m. 4740 17th Avenue Northeast. Every Sunday night, I'm getting up and I'm protesting hell. And we're reminding Satan and all his minions, we're here and we ain't going away because this region belongs to the God that we serve. Right now in your sphere of influence, you got at least three friends living in the graveyard. I'm telling you, go home and tell your friends what Christ has done on your behalf and how he had great compassion on you. And maybe, just maybe, the testimony of somebody who's been set free will give somebody else hope who's ready to give up that if God did it for you, he could do it for them as well. Let's bankrupt the graveyards of Seattle and see the demoniacs set free. Come on, stand as we close.